Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the next episode of Running the Bases. Uh, here with you always is Tucker Wells, joined by Coach Jordan Bounds. Coach, you're a few days away from Cooperstown. You pretty excited? Oh, I'm major excited. Major excited? Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And uh, what are you hope? What are you most looking forward to? Um, well, obviously the speeches and the end. Well, I, I can't even say that. Uh, what I'm looking forward to the most is I get to spend some quality time with my son. Yeah, there you go. And have you? Uh, how many times previously have you been to Cooperstown? If once. You could, just once. Just once. Yeah. And was it for a Hall of Fame weekend or just just no, to go? No, it was just to go. Yeah. And it was in '91 when the Braves started all of this. So going now is kind of like taking it full circle. There you go. There you go. And I know you're taking your uh, bunting from the '91 World Series. Um, how many signatures over under do you think you're going to get? Oh. Put it at maybe seven? Oh, no. That would be wonderful if I could get seven. Uh, I, okay. I don't even want to say. I don't even know if I'm able to have things signed there. So Yeah. Uh, well, here's hoping that you do. So um, uh, real quick about the Braves um, and the second half. Uh, what are your predictions for the second half for the Braves? And <laughs> what, were, what were some of your favorite memories of Dan Ugla now that he's no longer with us, if you have any? Uh, Ugla tried hard all time. He played professional, you know, uh, my favorite, that Ugla hustled all the time. You know, I, I like that. Um, the, uh, other than that, the fact that he's been on the bench for the last couple of months, that's been my favorite part. Uh, predictions for the Braves second half next to impossible. Uh, they're so mercurial uh, but so is the rest of the National League, let alone the division. Uh, I don't, you know, it would be, you, you've got to look at Washington as having the better pitching. Uh, you have to, but they're just as inconsistent as the Braves have been. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, in in the East, do you see the Marlins or the Mets making a significant push, or is it now already just a Nationals-Braves uh, contest well, for the it East has been. Yeah, I think it has been all year. Some of the other races are looking pretty good in the NL Central. You know, you got you know from Reds, Pirates, Cardinals, Brewers, all right there. Who do you think comes out in the Central? Cardinals, without any doubt, the Cardinals have played. They haven't played their best baseball all year. I think the Brewers have played beyond themselves, and now they're in second. You know, or they're right there. I mean, you know, the Cardinals are right there with them. You know, I don't think uh, the uh, I don't think the Pirates are deep enough. Uh, I wish they were. In, yeah, I wish they were too. Sim- certainly not in pitching. Yeah. Uh, their pitching has really been awful this year for a team that was so so good last year. Um, how do you? Uh, speaking of the Cardinals, how do you feel about Mike Matheny now and his? Uh, um, you know, into his third year, how would you rate him as a first time manager? I mean, obviously the teams had great success. They just kept it rolling. But do you attribute that to him or? No, not at all. I contributed to the organization. I don't think much of Matheny one way or the other. Yeah. All right. And then uh, um, in the uh, American League, uh, the most interesting race is kind of looking like the West between um, Oakland and Anaheim or Los Angeles of Anaheim. So how do you feel about Mike Trout versus the the uh, the fight A's? Um. I really think right now, if I had to 
put money on it, I would say we're going to have a Crosstown World Series. You can't say Subway because they really don't have a Subway uh, in L.A. The Dodgers freeway. and the Angels. Yeah, Freeway World Series. Freeway World Series. All right. I'm going to go with my Tigers, my AL team. I'm gonna I, go- I hope so. I hope so, too. Uh, although uh, I also think the best thing for baseball, the very best thing for baseball would be to have an uh, Anaheim, L.A. World Series because then you have the two players that could be the face of baseball on the stage, having Trout and Puig go against each other. And I think that would be good for baseball. Yeah, the only problem with that, just as a baseball, a more purist baseball lover, is that the Angels don't have any star pitching, you know, at least not performing like it. They got uh, got Weaver coming back, and that's going to be a big pickup for them in the second half, and that's where I think they leave the A's behind. I don't care if they got some margin. What's his name? Um, I think uh, the Angels. uh, Certainly Garrett Reynolds, he's, you know, he's he's tearing it up, you know, all-star. But see, with the Tigers, I think the Tigers have arguably, you know, he's, he's never he's never really stood, you know, stepped into the light like Puig did right off the bat. But if the Tigers are there, you got Verlander, Scherzer, Cabrera, um, those three right there, I think rival what um, the uh, the Angels would or the Dodgers would bring to the table. I I, I I agree, and I hope the Tigers are there. I'm pulling for the Tigers, as you know I would. But I do think Mike Trout is the single most exciting player in baseball, and he uh, he could become the face of baseball. Uh, he's he's like Mickey Mantle Jr. and uh, the uh, Jeter's gone. You know, uh, it would be a good thing. Yeah. What and you- to have a kind of rivalry with Puig, that would be a good thing. It would be a good thing for baseball. I'm not saying I would enjoy it. I would hate that kind of World Series because the games would all be really late. Everything, you know. Yeah. Well, um, and speaking about Jeter, do you see the Yankees making it to the playoffs at all? No. You, even the one-game wild card? Uh, well, maybe, but I, I really don't think so. I, I think their pitching now is is sunk. Absolutely. And what do you think will be a a bigger deal? His last game at Fenway or his last game at Yankee Stadium? His last game at Yankee Stadium. I've heard Uh, that the ticket prices for Fenway, his last game at Fenway, are higher. If you're going to go on a secondary market to try and get tickets, they're more expensive for his last game at Fenway. But if you're using StubHub, you're probably going to get scammed uh, anyway after what what they said today about all of these ticket things. They've been... There has been I a, miss this. a company's been scamming all of these uh, ticket buying places, and your uh, all of your secure information is being sold to Russians. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel great about that. StubHub <laughs> is the main uh, problem with this. They're they're the main one that yeah. got hit. Well, I'm going to have to go get on that when I get home. So, well, all right. Well, tonight we're talking about um, great African-American players um, of your early lifetime. going to get some personal accounts from you, Coach. Um, you grew up in a very, very, very important and, you know, needless to say, interesting time in this country, um, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, and, you know, we're, we're uh, a good 10, 15 years from Jackie Robinson, but still in the crux of the civil rights movement. 
and um, you know the 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 death of Martin Luther King Jr. mixed in there. So I was born five years after Jackie Robinson, uh, right? And so, so when but, you were following baseball, right? It, when you knew your ABCs right. and how to hit, you were. Yeah, it was about ten years. Removed. I'm I'm guesstimating here. So, um, but so I think I knew my ABCs before I could hit. But go ahead. <laughs> they didn't have it at the same time. No. no. Oh, okay. Well, good for you. So, but anyway, we're going to talk about that tonight. So, so tell us, um, uh, what were, what are the some of the great African American players that you saw and looked up and looked at when you were growing up? Um, I think first of all in the mid to late 50s, early 60s, if you were an African-American ball player, and there were a lot of great ones, a lot of great ones, you started. You were a starting player. They, If bench players were still white, and that was kind of a, uh, you know, a Jim Crow type thing that I wasn't really aware of. Uh, it just seemed to me like, all of the black players were great. I didn't, you know, at a young age, I wasn't thinking, uh, well, wait a minute, how come, you know, the bench players aren't ever black? Uh, and that was a kind of racist that's, a racism that still existed in baseball. Um, but on the other hand, there were black players that just changed the game. Uh, and, I mean, everybody knows what Jackie Robinson brought to the game, the speed and the base running and all of that sort of stuff and that kind of aggressiveness. But there was a uh, kind of uh, an adherence to uh, fundamentals that w- that came from the Negro League's uh, and their emphasis on small ball that you didn't see in uh, too much uh, in Major League Baseball. I'll, and often that was hidden under racism as well. I mean, uh, and, and my, as a young kid, I didn't see it at that time. Uh, Willie Mays was always referred to as a great natural athlete. Uh, which implied that everything came to him naturally, that he didn't have to work at it uh, like other white ball players. Duke Snyder, Mickey Mantle, and Willie Mays were all always compared with each other. Uh, Mickey Mantle, we know, was drunk half the time. He didn't work at much. He thought he was going to die any minute. You know, he didn't work at much <laughs> of anything. You know, he had this fatalism. And Willie Mays, you know, they would show him playing stickball in the street with kids, but that was just kind of a an infomercial for him. If you're a great ball player, you work at it, period. You know, nobody, uh, but the implications that he was a natural, that was some racism that I I just didn't see at the time. At what point, um, you know, you're growing up in this in this this time period of, of the civil rights movement, at what point were you aware um, or did you learn about, you know, baseball and racism and breaking the color barrier and these underhanded, these underhanded things that existed? Hearing Jackie Robinson give a speech at a all-star game that was played in Oakland saying that he wasn't going to go in the field anymore 
until there was like a black manager and black, you know, third base coaches. There weren't even black third base coaches in those days. Uh, and now he died, I think like a year later or something like that. And, and when he died, he had just got, got through supporting Nixon. So I was having trouble with, uh, Jackie at the time, but, uh, his, I, I didn't ever think about the fact that there wasn't a black manager or something. You know, I'm, when you're 10 years old, you're not thinking, well, uh, you know, Hey, he's black. How come he don't, you know, you just don't think about it. Uh, it's kind the, of uh, one of the you know resounding great things about the game of baseball is that yeah no, <laughs> for for a kid looking at you know you know all races and creeds and colors playing on the same field it washes all that clean to a certain extent uh, to a certain extent to a certain extent uh, I mean I I look at who my favorite players were when I was really young when I was seven and eight and they were the white guys you know I mean I recognize some of these black players as the the best in the game but my favorite players were Eddie Matthews and Al Kaline I don't know if it was because they were white you know when I was seven years old or nine years old or whatever but that's who they were Uh, and it may be because I could see myself in them and I couldn't see myself in Bad Henry or Frank Robinson or somebody. Now, later, it wasn't long thereafter that Clemente became my favorite player and still remains so today. But uh, as a young kid, you know, I I don't know. When was the first time you saw Clemente live? And where was that? Well, the first time I saw Clemente live was the first game that Pittsburgh ever played in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. So 66, obviously. Yes. Right. Yeah, and what was that like for you, just on a personal level, when he came up to play, up to bat for the first time? Uh, was he already one of, like, at, at your top or yes, your favorite he, at that yes, time? Yes, he was. Okay. So what was that like? Um, it was uh, it, the first year that the Braves, in 66, seen all of these players. Uh, it was... I wanted to squeal like a little girl, uh, seeing <laughs> so many of them. Uh, I mean, all every team, you know, every team had players that I couldn't, you know, that were people that I had had been part of uh, my imagination and my fantasy and everything, and they were there. Yeah. So, so Clemente walks up to bat, and you know when you. Uh, so, well, let's let, actually let me. Actually, hear, that would have been what the first game. Um, uh, really? They, yeah. Well, they played Pittsburgh. You know, that, that was the first game of, yeah, ever. Right, wow, right, look at so. that. Um, well, let me, let me change it then, because um, when it when they're coming up to hit, when a when a hitter is the focus, it, it's plain and simple. He's the focus. When Clemente is out in the field, are you always fixated on him and what he's doing, or are you looking at as a kid? Uh, no. I, you know, I probably followed the ball. I, I don't really remember it that much, I, but I think yeah. I probably followed the ball in those days. I, uh, there were certainly, I would have, if there's a fly ball, I'm hoping Clemente's going after it rather than Bill Verdon in center, you know, <laughs> uh, the, uh, but I just the whole thing was uh when I was young was so magical. Yeah. So so um well we'll continue on that that thought. What were some of you know you say that 
you're you're saying how you know these these Negro players changed the game. You were seeing things that you never saw before. You know, you know what what were what were some of those things that you personally saw that when you saw it, you said, "I've never seen this before. I've never seen right. a player play like that." It's a guy Vic Power, uh, who was a first baseman. And uh, with Cleveland, uh, later the Angels, he was kind of a journeyman starting first baseman, a good ball player, and uh, great glove and great bat control. And I saw him throw the bat. I mean, it completely left his hands, and he hit a ball to right field on the hit and run and to put a, uh, put runners on first and third. And he literally meant to throw the bat at the ball and hit it that way. Wow. Uh, and I can remember it. I think it was against Cleveland. I can remember it uh, like it was yesterday. And I, uh, it was uh, – there was that kind of adherence to fundamentals that was – that came from these players that had played in the old Negro Leagues. Uh, the uh, – I can remember also being now Bob Gibson, you know, notorious, you know, decking people and throwing at their heads and stuff and not talking to people and being like, you know, the biggest jerk on earth. But the person who scared me, if I had been a player, was Frank Robinson. Oh yeah, the, uh, he played hardball. Uh, the um, I. I you better be wearing a steel cup, you know, uh, <laughs> Robbie's on the field. I mean, and there were, uh, I remember hearing Ina Slaughter uh, interviewed in the 30s and talking about how, you know, every time he'd come into spring training, he was trying to hold on to his job and he would, uh, you know, it was life and death to him. This is a guy playing during the Depression, you know, and everybody's going against him. But you got a feeling that, Every black ball player was that way as well. The first center fielder I remember being just unbelievable uh, in the outfield and noticeably, uh, as a small kid, you recognize hitting and pitching before you do fielding, uh, particularly in outfield play. But Kurt Flood was different than, uh, you know, I mean, and maybe Mays was better, but I, you know, I wasn't seeing Mays really quite at his peak. Uh, but Kurt Flood was, uh, he was tremendous in the outfield he, he, and Roberto, but you know, Roberto was not, you know, he's not an African-American, you know? Well, true. Kurt Flood, you know, never took with the exception of the 68 world series. He never took a bad route to a ball that I can remember. I always uh, admired, you know, looking on him in retrospect, you know, how he always took the right angle to get to a ball. Right. How many times did you see Kurt Flood play? Uh, zero. Okay, well, I'm, I'm wondering how you know that. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I do my research when I can. Okay, all right. Um, well, I want to ask you about um, uh, Hank Aaron. Um, you were a fan of the Milwaukee Braves long before they came to Atlanta. Um, and so hence a bad Henry fan before he ever came to Atlanta. But what was it like, you know, um, when you found out that Atlanta was getting the Braves? The, the Braves were my favorite team. Uh, I've told you that before when they were in Milwaukee. And it was probably as a young kid, uh, I really liked their uniforms. 
Uh, My dad was the same way about the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, you know, and as pitiful as that sounds, but uh, we root we root for the laundry. Jerry Seinfeld said it right. We're we're rooting for laundry. So the uh, and uh, bad Henry. I mean, I took Eddie Matthews was my favorite player, but uh, bad Henry was right there, you know. And I, uh, <laughs> but he was such a different ball player in Milwaukee than the first day in Atlanta, you know, when he, 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 he himself said when he saw how well the ball carried to left, you know, he changed his whole swing and everything in Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, started hitting home runs, you know, all the time. Uh, I thought he was a more effective hitter when he was at Old County Stadium hitting doubles every time up, you know. Uh, and as, you know, I, I've said before, I think I saw – uh, Hank Aaron hit a hundred home runs live. I, you know, I've kind of estimated that I saw a hundred of Hank Aaron's home runs live. And that's a lot. Uh, Is this in live and in person? Yes, live yeah, and in person. Obviously, uh, but that's impressive. But on I any must level. have seen him hit three hundred pop ups. Uh, <laughs> you know, he didn't strike out. He just popped the ball up all the time. Don't forget my powerful wrist. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I, you know. There, I'm going to Cooperstown this this weekend because, uh, and, and feel compelled to do so because Glavin and Maddox and Bobby have given me so much in my life, and I, for whatever reason, I feel like I I, I kind of owe it uh, to be in Cooperstown this weekend. But likewise, I owe a lot of the happiness in my life to Bad Henry. You know. Uh, and, and you know, I was there. You know, a lot of you know, a lot of the big ones. You know that. Yeah, and uh, about that, you know, seven fifteen, uh, he hits that when you're in your early twenties, and so at that time period, you know, it, it's been well documented the the hate mail that he received and the death threats that he received as he got closer and closer to breaking Babe Ruth's record. You, a Braves fan, a Hank Aaron fan, living in Atlanta while this is happening. What was that like, and how aware were you of the hatred that was raining down on him from these different, you know, people you around about, the country? You you knew some of it at the time. I don't think we knew the extent that it really was, and we also, at that time, sports reporting was different, and the um, Hank was a. Uh, he wasn't Jackie Robinson. Um, if that had happened to Jackie Robinson, he would have hit the home run three weeks earlier. Although he hit it like the, I mean, it would have been he would have hit it the season prior to that. You know, uh, it would have you know it spurred him on. Hank was just he was like a quiet guy, you know, and he he didn't want big time press and everything. He was a uh, a team player and you know he was not somebody that was looking for you know spotlights and uh fame and everything uh so you didn't you, you really didn't hear about it to the extent that we do today uh all of the hate mail and stuff uh my main concern was that i had tickets for the game <laughs> really was you know well that's a that's a good thing you know it's i mean if, if you're 
if you're focused on that, I think that's where your heart's supposed to be with sports. But so you didn't, I mean, going to the games during, you know, in 72, 73, getting closer and closer and closer. Were you, when you're actually at the stadium, did you encounter Oh no! Vile I, I don't. I don't down think you never heard that at the stadium. Everybody, you know, they uh, people would boo when he'd pop up, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, when you know he'd pop up uh, with two on in the ninth, you know, and he was the tie and run because it was all we had. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> the uh, you know, he had to being the face of the team more so than anybody we you've known. And I mean, more so than Chipper, Maddox, or Glavin, or Aerosmith, or any of those people. Uh, the uh, If the team failed, then it was his fault. And uh, they failed more often than they succeeded in those days because he was the only face of the team, you know? Yeah. Um, do you think that um, when, you were, when you were growing up and, and you were watching – african-american players which is a very new thing still at this time um at what point do you did you ever draw a correlation that they out hustled because they were trying that they felt that they needed to prove themselves or that they were driven by this desire to be better than their white counterparts if that makes sense Uh, yeah that question makes sense i understand what you're saying uh do you think that the racism that was coming at them like you said with Jackie Robinson, did it fuel others' games to a noticeable... Oh, know. I'm sure it did, but uh, as a 10- and 12-year-old boy, I'm probably not aware of it. And particularly at a time when that sort of information... You know, there was no ESPN. There was just a game of the week where I was watching old Diz and Pee Wee do the game, you know, and uh, you know, and old well, Diz singing the Wabash Cannonball and mispronouncing everybody's <laughs> name. And, you know, it, it was... Uh, there was a kind of purity at it. I mean, and, and I recognized that there were... Like, there seems to be a black player on every team. But, uh, I, you know, I really didn't care, you know. I mean, it was wasn't something that I, and as a a ten year old and a twelve year old or whatever, I wasn't. Uh, racism was not something that I was really cognizant of. When you um, um, when you look back, you know, when you when you know now, when you look back on it, or whenever, you know, whenever over the years you look back on that era. Um, do I see it now? Do you see it now? Oh, yes. I see a ferocity in the way that these people played. Do you see any current um, player, uh, particularly an, an American-born African-American, that was redundant, an African-American <laughs> player? Because you know, there's this thing that's been talked about in baseball for years now about the decline in, in, tr- in African-American players. You know that that the young African American athletes in uh, in America and the United States of America are being lost to, you know, basketball and uh, football. So, um, you know, obviously these these Latin American players like Puig, for example, they are all energy, all hustle for the most part. You know, Jose Fernandez on the pitching side of life, and you know, so on and so forth. But uh, all right. who is an African American player in today's game that reminds you? of that kind of hustle that they just they they echo it all right first of all i'm going to say that to say that kind of hustle is almost a racist statement in itself fair enough uh i i think there 
when you look at the way Frank Robinson played against the way Hank Aaron played, uh, and Hank Aaron was one of those people that got kind of a natural, you know, that he never seemed to run at full speed, but he got to the ball. He's probably he's a better outfielder than Frank Robinson was, but he seemed to be taking it at ease. There were different types of ball players, uh, and Kurt Flood was different than Vic Power, who we've mentioned before. You know, I mean, uh, the I today I. I don't see players. Uh, I don't know. Um, the today, my main concern when I I, I look at African American players is that uh, I hope that they are instilling or inspiring other uh, African younger African Americans to play baseball. Uh, if there's one person that I think that does that today, it's probably Granderson, uh, who has, through RBI and a lot of things, has uh, really inspired a lot of people to play. Big fan of Granderson. Uh, I, I was big fan of his, especially in Detroit. Obviously, when he gets traded to the Yankees, you know, it's hard to root for a Yankee, right. but he would be the one. Yeah, uh, I agree I mean, with that wholeheartedly. Uh, the uh, I I like the fact that. I mean, I don't even think about it. the Braves. Uh, we we've got an all African American outfield, uh, and we're watching African American pitch right now as we talk. Uh, the and I I think that is uh, I like that. I mean, uh, for particularly for a city like Atlanta, which has a large African American population, that I think it's necessary or you know it's good for the team to have uh an african-american fan base based on uh particular players i i agree i you know i i think that for myself however moving to cobb county maybe they have to get rid of some of the black players (laughs) oh oh take that cobb county ouch um you know i think that when i look at baseball and just speaking for myself personally, because you know I'm 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 very much liberal, and you know why can't we all just get along? Um, but if I was an, a, a black player today, I feel as though I would have a certain sense of uh, respect and responsibility to the players that came before me, considering what they went through. So that's where I come from with the idea that you know who today reminds you of they play like a Frank Robinson or they would play like a Clemente, even though he's not black. Um, you know, guy plays like Clemente is at right fielder in Arizona. I can't remember his name, but he plays the outfield like him, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I would, I would think for myself, I would want to go as hard as a Jackie Robinson did or, um, um, certainly like a Frank Robinson with that kind of, that kind of purpose, um, you know, today to, to honor their legacy, and so do you see that in the game today with anyone in particular, anyone at all playing with that kind of reverence? Um, I, I don't think you see that many players that are thinking of the past. Uh, there, there are very few. Uh, you... 
if you are good enough to be in the major leagues, you've been a star your whole life, and that has been festered, or it's been fostered, I should say, uh, your whole life. And uh, you're not thinking about the past. It's always about the future. Uh, I'm sure David Ortiz could tell you now uh, pretty much about Yastrzemski and Ted Williams, but I doubt he could have told you what position they played when he first moved to Boston from Minnesota. Uh, And I don't think that uh, the emphasis is so hard to succeed at professional sports that most of them are not fans. There are some that are, but uh, just because you're African-American, I don't see where uh, that makes you any more prone to be a fan of the history of the game than it would if you were Hispanic. I mean, now we do know that everybody from the Dominican knows who Clemente was. He's like the patron saint of the whole damn country. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there's statues of him everywhere and his uh, sports complex, every Dominican player comes through. Uh, you know, he, uh, but uh, as far as African Americans, they know who Jackie Robinson is and they probably know who Hank Aaron is, but I bet. Uh, there are a lot of players, African-Americans, who make the major leagues who today have never heard of uh, Frank Robinson. And I would bet a toe there are a lot of them that have never heard of Vic Power. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you or know. even a Larry Doby. Or... Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that I, I've always appreciated and been proud of Major League Baseball uh, as a whole for what they do to remember the civil rights era and, you know, crossing the, the color lines, um, you know, with Jackie Robinson and beyond Jackie Robinson, you know, we've talked about how he, like most baseball documentaries about, um, the Negro leagues or Ken Burns baseball. They, they talk about him so much that, that, a, that a lot of the, the players, the other players out there get lost in the shuffle. And, um, you know, things like the civil rights game, you know, I think that's a really great thing that baseball does every year. Um, so, um, so to, to wrap it up, going, um, uh, around the bases, running the bases as it were. And, uh, and you know, one through nine, who was the greatest African American players that you saw at each position that you actually saw play live. All right. I saw unit. play live. All right. First of all, and, then- and you, you know, we'll expand this. You can take it all the way up to, eh, let's say the nineties when the Braves started winning. All right, I, I haven't thought about this, but without a doubt, Bob Gibson's on the mound. Absolutely. Uh, all right, behind the plate, probably Elston Howard. Uh, let me think about that a second, but probably so. Uh, I didn't like him at the time because uh, he was catching over Yogi Berra at the time, and I didn't quite realize how much Yogi had uh gone back he was like a name i you know i compared him to a cartoon uh <laughs> but uh elson howard uh behind the plate uh i'm gonna say right now without thinking too much probably stretch mccovey at first um certainly scared me as much as any of them 
Uh, I will say, the other night I was looking at John Mayberry on Philadelphia and regarding how much he now looks like his father, John Mayberry, the first baseman for the Royals. But uh, <laughs> the uh, I'll still say Stretch McCovey at first. Um, at second, uh, Joe Morgan. I know that's a little bit later, but Joe Morgan is one of the greatest – he and Ryan Sandberg and Alomar are probably the best second baseman I've ever seen, so it would have to be Morgan at second. Uh, shortstop, uh, Ozzy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Doesn't take long to, to get that one. No. Uh, and at third base, now that's not going to be easy for an African-American. Oh, no, it is. Bill Madlock. Uh you know, he wasn't that great in the glove, but you know, you lead the league in hitting a couple of times, that'll do it. Uh <laughs> in the outfield, uh bad Henry, Frank Robinson, Willie Mays. Well there you go. Well coach, thank you. Thank you for this one as always. And um have a great time in Cooperstown. Oh I will. We'll definitely be talking Hall of Fame next week. And thank you all for listening. Check us out on iTunes and this has been running the bases. Thank you, coach. Good night. Good night.